0: Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL, Most Valuable Listener, on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.
1: I felt like I was at my weakest as a programmer then, but because of that, I was... You know, most humble, I was in the
0: best position to learn. Traveling New Zealand, featuring and celebrating amazing women in tech all across the North Island and South Island, I came across James with Werewolf and man, was he helpful in connecting me to the women in tech community in order to enable me to empower these incredible women to move forward. So just passionate about women in tech.
2: My name is James Burns. I'm chief marketing officer at Werewolf, the app for venture tourism operators. I've had the pleasure of working for a lot of really smart women, and uh, both in tech and outside of tech, and it's just generally been my experience over the last 20 years that there's not nearly enough women's voices in leadership roles in, in tech companies, and so I just think it's important that we have that sort of voice. Uh, myself, I have two young daughters who today are four and six. And I want to make sure that when they get to an age where they're ready to start their first company, that they have all the opportunity and support that they need. Werewolf makes it easy for adventure tourism operators, everything from skydiving companies and bungee operators to jet boating and rafting companies to go paperless. To handle the guests from arrival all the way through departure, um, check them in through a really beautiful custom branded iPad app, ask them a lot of key questions take that data to build a customer marketing database. Werewolf was recognized by Deloitte in their Fast 50 awards for this year as the rising star one to watch. And as we move to the United States, it's really important that we continue to capitalize on the kind of growth that we've experienced over the last three years. And we're doubling, tripling size of the company annually. Queenstown is the adventure capital of the world. All right, we have 150 plus adventure tourism operators just within a 10 minute drive of where we're sitting right now. Any activity you can think of you'd want to do, you can do it. Bungee jumping was invented here. Jet boating was invented here. I mean, there's so much that happens here. There's so much innovation around the adventure topic that we're really primed well to leverage that. And that's no better place for us to be based.
0: Be sure to explore more about Werewolf at GetWerewolf.com. That's G-E-T-W-H-E-R-E-W-O-L-F.com. Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast. I am currently in New Zealand celebrating women in tech. And it has been so exciting. But tonight, here in the hostel, I got to meet totally random Asha with, like, in technology, out of the Bay Area, backpacking like I am. Now, am I saying your name right, Asha? Yes, you are. Okay, cool. So, okay, first of all, let's set it up for everybody. Where are we? Uh, We are in Napier, New Zealand, on the North Island. And what brought you to Napier from San Francisco?
1: Uh, So I just graduated university. I'm 22, finished up a thesis, and I am starting a new job at the end of March. And so it's really rare for like money and time to align in that kind of way. So I figured I'd be silly not to just take
0: off. And this is really, really exciting because there's so many parallels between your history and getting the job that you're about to start working with and just different stuff we have going on with the women in tech podcast. So why don't we just start from the beginning? You're starting your job in about a month. And so you're backpacking before then. Yes. Um, but you're in technology. When did that start and what's your role and who are you about to start working with?
1: Yeah, so that started around late nineteen or early twenty for me. I was in university halfway through uh, a biochemistry and molecular bio degree when I completely switched my major, which is a ridiculous thing to do, uh, and I was terrified at the time. Um, I had had a couple of friends that were, uh, you know, into programming. I was spending a lot of time with a lot of dudes that were programming, yeah. and, uh, you know. I got kind of curious about what I was seeing on the screen. Uh, the problems that they were sifting out just sounded really interesting. And so I tried to learn a little bit on my own, didn't get very far with it and took my first class and just knew like, I don't know if you speak a second language or not. Um, but when you start speaking a language that is foreign to you um, at a certain point, you start to get like a little bit sore in the brain, more or less. Um, there's kind of an exhaustion to it. And I think, I experienced that for the first time in like a long time um, when I was just trying to sift through code. And it was a very different mode of learning than what I had seen in like biology and biochemistry, where you can kind of like figure out how to be right. Um, When I was programming, I realized that you have to be wrong all the time and like celebrate being wrong in slightly different ways. And that was the steepest part of the learning curve, more or
0: less. I've never heard that. I love that. One thing that I forgot before we move forward in this conversation, which I'm really excited to dive into, is go ahead and introduce yourself to everybody.
1: Oh, hi. Uh, my name is Asha Kareem. Uh, I am. What what constitutes an introduction? I I'm 22. Uh, I just graduated from UC Santa Cruz, and I am headed on to work as an associate software engineer
0: at Salesforce. So exciting. And now you discovered this opportunity at Salesforce in a very special way.
1: Oh man. So yes, a number of special ways. So I was, uh, I was speaking at my first conference, uh, at HPTS 2017, October of last year. Um, and I just remembered at around like the third slide. So I was shaking like a leaf before I got up on stage to go talk. And autopilot kicks in at a certain point and use more or less like a blackout. You're watching yourself give this presentation. Right. And like out of the blur at around slide three, I think I see Pat Salinger who like invented query optimizers. Um,
0: <laughs> I love uh, how excited
1: you are. And I'm just like slightly watching Pat's face. It's like, oh, that that's my luminary for um, for that talk. It just to have that kind of focal point and – uh, we went and spoke afterwards, and she and Pat Helen had encouraged me to see about joining up with their team.
0: This is so exciting! Wait, okay, can we jump back for a second? Yes. How are you, twenty-two, speaking at a conference? I mean, you know, the number one fear people have is public speaking. So, how'd you even get there? So the funny thing
1: was, I uh, I did not expect to be doing that as early as I was. Um, at nineteen, I got sponsored to go to the Grace Hopper conference. Um, which is a celebration, a different celebration of women in tech. Um, And I just remembered seeing women speak there and thinking, wow, like I want to do something like this at a later point in my career. Um, And I was really fortunate um, that that came around earlier. So I had been doing research. um, Let's see. So a couple of things led me there. So the first thing that I did was at that conference, I met Jen Frazier, who you will probably be meeting uh, in the next week or two. who was working with Twitter, and she had met me and encouraged me to apply. I didn't even know what I wanted to work on, right. like what area of tech I'd be interested in. But just by talking to me, um, she mapped me to what has been like one of my favorite teams to work on. Um, <laughs>
0: wait, wait, let's... Oh, yeah. <laughs> first of all, you were sharing Grace Hopper. Let's not assume yeah. everybody... Can you tell us, what is that?
1: So Grace Hopper is and a now incredibly large scale uh, celebration uh, of women in tech. It's a three day conference um, that now has between like, I want to say 15 or 20,000 people that attend Incredible! Um, all different areas of industry, um, different talks and, you know, all the different corners of the field um, points for mentorship points for interviews, points for just development or just seeing what other people are working on. Uh,
0: it's a lot Can you walk us through, just so we really understand your timeline between school, internships, and work? and Because you've had a lot of opportunities, yeah.
1: Yeah, so freshman year, I was in school. Right afterwards, I was working as a waitress. The following, uh, so I guess after my sophomore year, um, I think I was at Twitter 2015, yeah, end of sophomore year. So, I don't know, I'm totally on track. So then I was at Google, and then— And how did that—how did you go from Twitter to Google? (laughs) Uh, so Twitter then sponsored me to go to Grace Hopper for the following year, uh, where I interviewed with Google. Um, I had been in the running, uh, with them before I'd interviewed with them previously. And so I went through again and I wound up on a machine perception group, um, working with Google research. I mean, Grace
0: Hopper has been a huge catalyst in your success.
1: Oh, Grace Hopper has been fantastic.
0: How can, can anybody go to Grace Hopper?
1: Oh, Absolutely. I mean, the tickets are expensive, but there are so many different ways for you to get access. You don't have to just be a speaker. You don't have to like, have somebody directly sponsor you. But if you talk to your school, they have different scholarships for them. If you are with a research group, if you're with a company, um, if you write a letter to somebody and you sincerely express that you would like to go, maybe they'll help you out. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a million and one ways to get there. And I think um, even the Anita Borg Institute
0: provides grants for some people, too. I think grants and scholarships, it's something that I looked into a lot. I don't know if this is still true, but if it is, you guys, most grants and scholarships go unclaimed because people just don't take action on it. Utilize the resources we have. I feel like I've been
1: really fortunate um, to have these opportunities, but I haven't made what I want of them yet. So for me, you know, I feel like I'm doing the right things. I feel like I'm doing things that make me happy, but I'm not yet satisfied.
0: Totally. Which is very American of you, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, let's go back to when you had to make this huge decision. Well, like you yeah. didn't have to make it, but when you honored your true self to say, okay, this the path that I've been on, I want to switch my major. Um, how did you make that decision? What was your thought process? And did you think maybe you wouldn't? I was
1: worried that I wouldn't, to be honest. Um, It was a really, for me, it was a really risky thing to do. Uh, School is incredibly expensive. My brother's around my same age and was also um, either about to go to university or going to university. um, I think about to uh, at the time. And so it felt to me like a really selfish choice to make. I for a long time had tried to just straddle and oh I don't have to choose I could just do both and I kept taking uh computer science courses on top of my workload otherwise um the UC system many schools run on a quarter a 10 week long quarter uh and taking 26 units in that time is a terrible mistake um I got really stress sick I had like major fever and I just slept more or less for two days at one point um And it was just too much. I knew that I couldn't keep, you know, just trying to bridge that gap. I had to commit to one side or the other. Um, And so I dropped my chemistry courses for the quarter. But at the time, you know, I was really unsure. And I think it's one of those things where uh, you go through serious change every two or three years or so. And I think that was a pivotal point that has really helped shape, like, where I am now is because of a gut choice that i made when i was like 19 or 20 years old
0: which was to switch your major
1: which was to switch my major despite having invested thousands of dollars and hours in one direction that didn't really uh you know carry through
0: no matter how good things look from the outside mm-hmm. doesn't mean that everything's easy peasy and comfortable on the inside we're always pushing ourselves to the next what's next and we're pushing ourselves to make to make the most of every opportunity
1: yeah and i think very firmly that um it's an industry that rewards you when you chase discomfort i think any time that i've felt complacent for however fleeting a moment um you know i feel like i'm cheating myself out of the opportunity to to learn because it moves so quickly because with only a couple years' experience, there's no way that you could have a grasp on it. With even, like, 20 years of experience, it's different. Right. I think chasing that kind of feeling, asking those questions, a way to, like, say it or acknowledging your discomfort with other people, too, um, is a good way to illuminate it or to possibly, like, change, change what that environment is.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story. No worries. What's one piece of, of advice you'd give... Maybe to even your former self, to yourself like two or three years ago.
1: Myself, two or three years ago. Um, I would probably pass on a bit of advice that someone gave me um, that I was actually bitter about when I received it initially, um, which is, you know, even if you do terribly in your internship, you're going to learn a lot, Uh, which I had interpreted at the time as like, oh, you're going to fail, But it's really an acceptance of failure in the same way that I had to get used to like, oh, just being wrong many times in different ways. Right. You either learn about what you could have done differently or learn that it wasn't for you. It doesn't hurt
0: to try. And most of all, you should ask while you're there. So cool. You've worked at these major companies as an intern, Twitter, Google, and now you're about to start working your full time at Salesforce. And I was blown away when offline you said... If you had told me two years ago I'd be working with computers, I wouldn't have believed <laughs> like, oh, you. Yeah. Like, what?
1: Yeah, very <laughs> friendly, uh It was never a future that I saw for myself. If you had asked 18-year-old me or 19-year-old me, uh, what do you want to do? Not in a million years would it have been computers. <laughs> um, well,
0: what would it have been at that time?
1: At that time you know, I wanted to be a biochemist. I was interested in genetics. I loved biology. So it was still, it was still the
0: sciences.
1: Oh, still the sciences. Mind you, I still write poetry. I still paint. I still draw. I think that kind of, you know, still loops in for me, uh, with a lot of that, just being in touch with yourself and being in touch with other people is important. You know, I'm an engineer, but I'm a human first and, There are many different shades to everybody. I think, like you know, the insensitive logician is a really difficult stereotype, um, and was the exact reason why I never imagined that there would be a space for me in computing, um, because it didn't seem warm. It didn't seem like a place where I saw people like myself. Um, And so, I know I know now that it's silly, but at the time, it just seemed natural to just like rule it out as a possibility. And for me, I th- I, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, when did you first feel in love with computing? It was, you know, when I understood, when I felt excited, when, like, I could affect it too, and it warmed my heart.
0: Um, so cool. How about science? When did you first become in love with science?
1: Uh, I watched a lot of Animal Planet as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was where a lot of the uh, biology and biochemistry interest came from. And since I've been working with computers, I mean, I've done little bits of research, um, you know, evolutionary game theory, um, so how to model coevolution of mycorrhizal like root fungus and terrestrial plants. Um, I've made like a little terrible, but like a toy uh, El Nino prediction model, things like that. Um, what I love about computer science is like it's kind of an all roads lead to Rome sort of deal. Uh, I get interested in a lot of different things and I can find a way to like, oh, I could totally do this with a computer or I could like model this thing or I could tinker around with it. I feel like I can contribute to my other interests using it. It That's doesn't detract so cool. from other things.
0: So cool. My mind is blown by your story. <laughs> I wanna get back to what you talked about when you talked about luck and how we manufacture our luck. I was just thinking about that too. Um, oh, I I'm I just telepathic.
1: You know, you asked if I consider myself a lucky person. Uh, I met you at a hostel I am staying in for one night only, like fewer than twelve hours even. Um and we managed to like get this yeah. interview in.
0: No, it, and I feel lucky about it too. So I'm I think about luck often because um I don't feel that I've had the easiest time being an entrepreneur but I do feel that I am ex- have extreme abundance in luck in travel. And I think about that often and I'm like, well, how do I perceive being an entrepreneur and how do I perceive travel? And I perceive travel um a couple ways. Um I perceive that I manifest luck. Like, if I'm running late to the airport, I'll literally start chanting, I'll get there on time, no problem. Mm-hmm. Get there on time, no problem. I'll just start chanting positives. And I never miss planes. Um, yeah. and like, you know, stuff like that. But then as an entrepreneur, because um, one of the company that's meant the most to me, a sports company I had I built the first social network for the action sports industry um that company didn't go as I dreamed that it would go so because I've experienced such heartbreak I'm a little bit pessimistic about being an entrepreneur and and I wonder sometimes if I viewed being an entrepreneur the way I view travel would I actually experience more luck
1: So that's interesting, Um, to be honest with you. So I consider myself a really lucky person, and I know that this is uh, kind of an obnoxious belief to many people. Um, I think luck comes in different ways. In New Zealand, like, luck is abundant. It's a small place, and you run into people all the time. It's to the point where serendipity starts to seem really commonplace. Right. Um, But in entrepreneurship, uh, that's a completely different territory, and I confess that... um, Though I'm interested in it, I've been really daunted by the numbers that I see coming out of it in terms of like funding and the impact that having even a single woman on a team yeah. will will make in your funding um potential. And I know it it's you know, I'm tempted to say I know it's silly, but you know, these these are real experiences that people have had. Mm-hmm. And um You know, I feel bad for being hesitant about it. I'm sorry that you had your experience. Um, You don't have to feel bad to be hesitant
0: about it. I mean,
1: that's just human. uh, (laughs) I want to say I wish I weren't, and I hope that the, you know, uh, I'm 22, but I hope that the groups of women that come after me don't run into it. I'm just so lucky, I feel, to be coming into this industry at a point where we can even talk about it, you know. Right. Um, I think that that's a luxury that a lot of like mentors and heroes of mine haven't had.
0: I do think we're, we're now in kind of the year of the woman.
1: Oh, I hope so. Which is
0: crazy. (laughs) Like, I feel that we have so much power right now. Um, it's just kind of like a a switch flipped all of a sudden. And I just, I think this is our year to truly shine. Um, And meeting, meeting people like you and sharing your story and hopefully that inspiring a lot of us to take risks and to put ourselves out there despite being afraid, despite not knowing how to do something. Like you were telling me offline there was a project and I thought this, again, there's so many things about you that are so inspiring. You were saying there was a project at a company you were interning with and you Sought out how to solve a problem within the project, even though you didn't have that much experience. You tell us the story a little bit. Yeah,
1: I had absolutely zero experience in this domain, and uh, I remembered the first day of going into that job and that person's advice, like, even if you like fail, you'll still learn a lot. And I was just thinking, um, like, can I can I curse? Yeah, sure. Curse. Yeah, I was thinking like, fuck you. I'm not gonna fail. Like, <laughs> I'm gonna, you know. I'm, my attitude going in was like I'm going to do this project if it kills me, and I was so sunny about it. Um, and I think that when I've gone into you know uh, experiences after that, I try to put myself where I was then. Um, I felt like I was at my weakest as a programmer then, but because of that, I was you know most humble. I was. M- in the best position to learn, um, my first month out of that three month internship was basically spent just talking to the three teams that I needed to, uh, work with to get this project going. So talking to them and seeing, you know, what, what does the lay of the land look like from your side? What, you know, we're all working with the same code base, but we all have really different experiences with it. You know, what is the pace of life? What is the pace of development? Like, what is the uh, attitude within the team? How is morale, um, and then from there, looking, like, who can, t- who needs a burden relieved? Who needs, um, you know, who needs help? Who is able to help? Uh, and how should this be spread out? And what is technically possible and trying to weave all those things together? Um, I would drum up a list of questions for my mentor, Brian, every day. And I just had, like, a side page on my notebook of questions for Brian. And I was so grateful that every day at, like, 4.30, I could go over and just spend half an hour saying, you know, here's here's what i found out today here's my intuition is this correct like what is your experience with it and um when i met his wife later uh she had told me that oh yeah he comes home at the end of the day he's like oh and she learned this today he had to he would study too to keep up with where i was and that kind of enthusiasm that kind of attention to people and it really translated into a passion for the project and for all of those that were involved with it um yeah. But then you got to the point where you're like, "Oh my
0: gosh, they approved."
1: Yeah, so I managed to get this design cleared by all parties involved, which was remarkable to me. Um, you know, I put a lot of thought into it. I made the proposal seriously when I felt like it was time, but, you know, never in a million years that it, it sounds silly, but never in a million years did I think like, "Oh, this is going to be like good enough," or, "Oh, I must have, you know, I thought I must have overlooked something." Right. But I remembered sitting there with it, uh, just staring at the design document on my screen and thinking, like, "Oh man, I hope I'm smart enough to implement <laughs> this." <laughs> and, and you were, I I was, um, and it's one of the things that I am like proudest to have built. Um, you know, it's it's had an Im- like, from what I can tell, having spoken to the people that I worked with, like it's had a really serious impact for them over there. Um, And that just feels amazing because that whole first month was spent, like, connecting with people, figuring out, like, what I wanted to do to make it better. You know, like, it wasn't just the project. Like, you see the people that it affects. And I think that was part of what made me really fall in love with distributed systems was, like, working in the cogs with the people who, like, bore the brunt of what happens when things go wrong. And seeing all of the things that need to you know. That immune response, uh, the people that have to mobilize the computers and what they have to do and how you reason about that space, um, it's it's fascinating. And I really wouldn't, you know, we we talked about this a little bit earlier, I wonder if I would still be in this industry if I didn't start out with a company that trusted me so much to explore. It's so
0: cool. So cool! Like, anything is possible. Absolutely anything. Yeah,
1: for me, I... Don't know what to make of it, but when I switched over to computer science, when I kind of started listening to, you know, my interests, um, and what spoke to me, things got easier. The resistance died down a little bit. Um, it was easier to find mentors because it was stuff I was interested in talking about and people were willing to support me. And, you know, I've started to meet more people that looked like me in tech that I just didn't know where they yeah. were. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, in retrospect, it's one of those things that is just so silly. I just had thought, like, oh, that is a boy thing, which is a ridiculous thing to think and not question.
0: Yeah. We should go to bed, though.
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. I've been Mm -hmm. up so late the last several days. I've slept just talking to people. I could see how. You're fascinating. It's the best part of travel is, um, you know, of course the places you go, but the people that you're with really
0: color them. Yeah. And, um... What's next for you? Where can people find you and stay in touch with your story?
1: Yeah, so I start uh, at Salesforce in late March. What role? Associate software engineer on what I believe is going to be the coolest team.
0: Um, where can people connect with you online? It's a good question. I'm on. Are you on Twitter? Twitter. I'm on Twitter. Okay, I
1: don't use it very much. It's um, okay. What's your Twitter? Uh, I actually don't. I love know. how
0: you don't remember. Yeah. And do you feel comfortable with email?
1: Oh, you can email me. Um, I'm also on, uh, I guess, yeah,
0: email's probably the way to do it. Are you on LinkedIn, too?
1: I am on LinkedIn.
0: Okay, so spell your email and your LinkedIn for everybody.
1: Oh, that's a good question. I think my LinkedIn is just Asha Kareem one word, A-S-H-A-K-A-R-I-M. And then my email is A-K-A-R-I-M at
0: U-C-S-C dot E-D-U. Perfect. Can you just say it one more time?
1: Uh, a. Kareem, so first initial, last name, at UCSC, for UC Santa Cruz, dot uh, edu. Perfect. Two last questions. I got
0: yeah. one. What's your favorite book?
1: Oh, okay. Um, I have an all-time favorite book, and I have a recent favorite book. Uh, all-time favorite book is 100 Years of Solitude. I know it's a popular one, but I cry every time I read it. It's I've never even- read it oh, it's not even that the ending is sad. It's just the last 60, 70 pages, it's like you're just tearing them off and eating them. It's like a dream. They're fan- It's fantastic. Um, the best book I read this year uh, was The Sympathizer. Um, it's about a half-French, half-Vietnamese, communist double agent after the Vietnam War.
0: So cool. Was so good. cool. Okay, and then last question that I usually ask right at the beginning. When did you first discover you were in love with technology?
1: Hmm... I think, oh gosh, I, I've been lucky to have grown up with the internet, like grown up alongside it. Um, I think I was first in love with it when I felt like I had some grasp of it. I felt like I could make, I could move it to yeah. um, the first time that I had like working code, something, first of all, that compiled, but second of all, like it did what it was supposed to. How did
0: you even discover that?
1: Oh, through just hours of debugging and frustration. <laughs> but where
0: did you even start debugging? Like, was a computer in your house or did you discover it in school?
1: I discovered it in school. Um, I was really lucky to have uh, professors who, you know, I could ask about the class material, but beyond that, like, I would ask In about, university? Yeah, in university. Oh, so this, this happened later in life, not oh, in junior high? so much later in life. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I was on the internet plenty when I was younger. Uh, like, little MMORPGs, whole thing, but... I didn't feel like uh, you know powerful with it. I didn't recognize the relationship that I could have right. with it until um, you know I felt not not like it's equal, but right. you know I felt like I could stand on my own two wobbly feet with it. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's so cool. Thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast, sharing your story. You're absolutely inspiring. Thank I'm you. so glad I met you here in New Zealand as we're both traveling around. And um, you're going to inspire a lot of people throughout your career. It's cool. I hope so. You already have. It's it's really cool. You guys, make sure to connect with us. And um, despite my froggy voice right now at women in tech show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the socials. And I will see you guys, talk to you guys, hear you guys in the next episode. Bye. My name's Esprit Devorah all sorts of different females in tech who have thrived. I want to share their stories with you so that you can know what resources, mentors, and life situations they accessed in order to get to where they are today. The Women in Tech podcast is an independent production funded by you, the community. To support Women in Tech, if you believe in the vision as much as we do, please consider going to womenintechpodcast.com. That's womenintechpodcast.com. And just click on the contribution link to keep this podcast going. Thank you. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.